on one of the pastors here at Forest Lake Baptist Church. Uh, at, during our night church towards the end of last year, there was a, a common theme that came up for us as we were working through the book of James, where the book of James was very much talking to Christians about what Christian living looks like. And uh, it got me, got me thinking about, you know, since God has saved us, as Christians, we have been born again. We are new people in Christ. We've been saved out of darkness and into His light and into His love. The question we can ask is, how then should we live? There's a, a whole book written on the subject. How then should a Christian live once this miracle of salvation has actually happened? And this morning, I feel like this just goes straight to the heart of that again by asking the question, what does it mean to love God? In fact, the greatest command that we are given in Scripture is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And so that's going to be the focus that we're going to look at this morning. To do that, we're going to be looking in Deuteronomy 6, but we're also going to be looking at some other Scripture as well today. So if you do have your Bibles handy, Deuteronomy 6 is the place to be open at. Um, But first of all, as we tackle this topic of what does it mean to love God, I think we should pray as we get into that. So why don't we do that now? Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be your people. And as a result, we can ask the question, how should we then live? What does it look like to be in relationship with you? Lord, I pray that what we look at today through your word helps us to know this better. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to know you deeper. I pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning to, I guess, lift us out of a people-centered view of you and our world and help us to look at it from your perspective. Give us a God perspective of, of Scripture this morning. Help us to know your gospel and your goodness to us deeper in order that we might love you, serve you, and follow you as you would have us do that, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's anything in this this morning that's not of you to be said, I pray that it it wouldn't happen. I pray, Lord, you would give me clarity in being able to convey the work that you've been doing in my heart in in these uh, past weeks. In Jesus' name, we pray this today. Amen. Okay, so we're going to have a look at uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is, just as a bit of a recap, just to kind of get our minds back into what's actually happening here in Deuteronomy... Uh, This book is a collection of speeches from Moses. It's Moses explaining to the Israelites the Torah or the law of God. And uh, it's Moses calling these Israelites to be faithful to God, who they made a covenant with. Now, we might remember as we we think back through the journey of um, the Israelites coming out of Egypt, it's been such an up and down journey. And the previous Israelites have done this not so well. It's gone from trusting God, yes, he saved us, turning around to no, we don't like what's going on. God being gracious and restoring people again and again, but also bringing judgment upon people's sin as well. So this previous generation hadn't really got this right, and here is Moses standing before the Israelites, giving these speeches to the people helping them to understand the covenant that they made with God, the promise that they made with God, that they would be his people, that they would love him, and that they would follow him. And he gives them the Ten Commandments, 
And then, after that, this very famous part of Scripture comes in, which in Hebrew is called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. And Shema means to listen, but it's not just listening. It's doing as well. It's acting upon that which we hear. So it's not just information coming in and going, that was good, I heard some good information. It's having that information and then going and doing something with it. That's what this Shema is when they say, listen. The listen isn't just open your ears and hear what I've got to say. It's go ahead and act upon it. And this command starts with the, with the call to listen of what is called the greatest command. So for us today as Christians, this is the greatest command for us. If there's something we're going to know about our relationship with God, it's this command that is given. It's this one that will help us live according to God's will and to follow him when we get this one in place. So I'm going to read, I've got one scripture up there, but I'm going to read the one before and a couple after as well. It says, listen, or Shema, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's no one else except him. He's not competing with other gods. The rest are false. He's only the one, the one true God. Verse 5, here's Moses saying to the Israelites, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might, for all of your strength. Verse 6, And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, the Jewish people and the the Israelites took this so literally that they wrote this on the doorpost of their house. It was the visual reminder constantly, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. They made these small leather boxes that they would bind around their wrist. Men would bind them around their forehead, because it actually says later to... Bind these things around your forehead when they went to prayer. And these little leather boxes contained the scriptures, the reminders to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. They took it literally. It was in all and everything that they were to do. Now, this was spoken, yes, to the Israelites in the Old Covenant, yet this is still the greatest command and is the New Covenant, is in the New Covenant for every Christian today. So for all of us in this room who say, yes, Jesus is Lord of my life, this command is for us. This is found in Matthew. We can read it in Luke. I'm going to read it from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? And Jesus answered with this. He said, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is... Love your neighbor as yourself. You might remember that he went on to talk about the second one. Now, church, I need to pause here for a minute because the sermon that I've got to share with you this morning is very different than what I've been working on for over the past couple of months as I've been thinking about this one coming up. Because in that passage that we read, it says here, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So this idea of loving God is to be taught diligently to our children, right? And you do it all the time, everywhere. It says, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. So it's saying, teach your children about God in everything that you're doing. 
not just in a set time of the week, but in all that you're doing. So I thought, great, here's what we'll do. I'll develop a sermon where we put in a whole bunch of practical stuff that'll help families think of some ways that they can bring this in. Now, that would have been good, right? That's what I thought. I thought I'll bring some examples that of we've done at home. I had these cuddle-up toys that used to be involved in like a Bible story talk. Um, I was going to bring them in um, and maybe give some examples of where we'd flopped as well, where we started reading Mark and only got to chapter 2 and to be realistic about it. I was going to do all of these things, but something happened, and particularly in the last two days as I continued on, I couldn't get past the first part of the scripture that says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And as a result, we've got a different sermon, (laughs) because I couldn't get past that. Because I started to think as I was developing these plans, I thought, what does it matter? What does it matter if I come up with a whole bunch of teaching strategies and things for us to put into place? What does it matter if I, could, if I think of all these things and I don't love God? If I haven't got this first principle, this greatest command in my heart that my whole life is, is driven and, and consumed with loving the Lord my God with all of my soul, with all of my strength, if I haven't got that there... The rest is just instructions. I couldn't get past it. So today, we're talking about the love of God, coming to him and saying, and even asking that tough question of ourselves, do I love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength? There's some things that I think about in life where I've gone, yeah, I've definitely loved those things with all of my my strength. Is God one of them? If my children see me standing up here on a Sunday morning or preparing a sermon and that's the only thing that they see about me, are they going to do it? Are they going to walk out following Jesus if all they've ever seen of me is an hour that I do at church on Sunday? Probably not. This is the stuff that was weighty to me this week and particularly in the last two days, I thought about it in the sense of evangelism. I thought, great, here's what we'll do. In the morning, we'll do discipleship. Discipleship in the home. It's got to start there. I thought at night time, we'll do evangelism. Talk to the, the night church congregation about ways to share Jesus with other people. And again, if I'm only going to somebody out of duty, it's going to have a different effect than if I go to them with love in my heart for God. There's going to be this outpouring, this overflow to others if I want to tell them about Jesus and it comes from a place of, I love God, as opposed to, here's some information I need to share with you. If I don't love God with everything, I'm probably not going to tell other people. If I love um, a video game or something, and I just love it so, so much, I probably tell people, right? It's the same principle here. But I want to share Jesus because I'm overwhelmed with love. See, I used to love darkness. I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to wickedness. I was trapped in darkness and I didn't see a way out. In fact, if I'm going to be honest honest with you this morning... I probably didn't want to see a way out. I was comfortable in my mess. That's all I knew. It would be right to say that I probably loved my sin and was happy in it. But then, by his grace, he let me taste of his goodness. 
His light shone in my dark heart. He is healing me and he is making me new. I no longer walk in darkness, but I walk in life and I walk in love. He snatched me from the flames. While I was dead in my sin, he snatched me out of darkness. And now I just got to tell someone. And I've got you guys here this morning, so I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and it's like that. When there's that love of God in us, it's like, who can I tell? Where is somebody? This thing's happened to me. I'm being made new. I'm not perfect. No way. I'm not, I'm not even close. But I'm being made new. I've tasted this goodness of God. And he's called me to himself. I just got to tell someone. That's the overflow that's going to be so much more effective of calling people to know Jesus as well. We can aim to do a lot of things this year. We can come up with a whole bunch of plans, programs. We can have phrases and, and um, you know, I've, I've been trying to come up with a, like a phrase for night church since I started. Maybe it's just love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Because if we don't have the love of God as our first and foremost, none of these other things are really ultimately going to matter. So I want to look this morning now at the basis for loving God. I want to let, I want to let God's word lead us as we understand more what it means to love God. God's word is for teaching, for admonishing, and equipping us for every good work. So I hope this morning we can get a little bit more equipped. Romans 8.28 says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. This is an important one for us. We know it well. We, we recite it a lot. All things. So that doesn't just mean that on your holiday, that's being used for your good. When I went to a ski resort or something, that was used for my good. That's nice. No, no, all things. Yes, the ski resort or whatever it is that I can do in my, in my time but it also means the trials and the suffering and the difficult stuff that I walk through as well will be used for my good when I'm one of those people who love God. If you don't love God, the stuff that there, it's not necessarily going to be used for your good. But if you love God, then these things will be used for your good, whatever you walk through. I want that to be an encouragement to you this morning. If you're walking through a difficult season right now in your life, if you've got doubts and confusion about stuff that you're going through, know this. Fall in love with God. Come to Him and seek Him because He uses all things for good for those who love Him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. God is preparing things for us that we don't even understand that are good things for us, those who love him. He is working and preparing stuff for you that we don't even understand yet. That's how good this God is that we, that we, that we pursue, that we love, that we serve. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life 
that God has promised to those who love him. So there is a promise, eternal life. Life itself is the gift that's given to you for those who love God. So as we look at just three scriptures this morning, it's fair to say that loving God is a good thing. He uses your difficult situations for your good. He uses the stuff that's going on in your life for His glory and for your good. He is preparing stuff for you that you don't even know about. That's good stuff. And the gift of loving God is life and life eternal. So the question that we might ask this morning is, and I think it's a fair one to ask, how do we do it? We can, we can talk about loving God. How do we do it? I want to talk about two parts that I hope will help you this morning, that have tremendously helped me. The first part is to know that everything starts with God. Everything starts with God's merciful and miraculous work. God is the initiator in the relationship that you have with him. So if you are here today and you say, yes, um, I, am, I love God and I, I'm in a relationship with him, that's his doing. Nobody comes up to Warren and pats Warren on the back and says, well done, Warren, you're doing a really good job of loving God this week. You're doing a really good job of being in, in your relationship with God. This is glory to God first and foremost. It is his work. Remember, while we were dead in our trespasses, he has saved us. He has called us to himself while we were dead in our sins. He is the one who has come to us and called us to himself. In Deuteronomy 30, later in the same book, it talks about our heart, our innermost, that is. And it says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. That's a metaphor. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants and you will love him with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you live. God will do that. That's what it's saying in here. The Lord will circumcise your heart. He will do a work upon your heart. God will come in and operate. He will do a work upon your heart so that you love him, so that it results in life for you. God's work. Ezekiel 36. Jesus talks about this in the, in the New Testament, talking about the new birth. He says here, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I, God, will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. How good is that? God will do that. For the person who is a Christian, God has come in and changed our hearts. He took away a heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, a heart that is able to love God. It starts with God firstly. That's the first bit, is to recognize that loving God starts with him. Loving God, the ability to even love him, is a gift to you. So if I can say, I love God, it's because it's been given to me as a gift. It's a good gift that leads to life. God gave me that. To be able to love him and to know him is gifted to me.
So what do we do then? Well, we respond to this gift that we've been given. Do you remember the Shema that we talked about? We listen, but then we do something with what we've just heard. So we seek him. We hear about the gift and understand what he has done for us. So we go after him with all that we have, with all of our heart then, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our soul. We go after God to love him because he is worthy and good. He has given you a heart that is able to love God. This is for salvation, for eternal life, and for your good pleasure, your happiness. He has saved you and he calls you to himself with this new heart that you now walk with. So we respond. I love this scripture that says, and I've read this scripture so many times and in the last two days, I just feel like I'm seeing it in a new light. It says, we love because he first loved us. I'm able to love God because he first loved me. So this acting and doing, the best word that we can use this morning for what we're going to do with this love that's been given to us as a gift is to obey. Now, when you hear the word obey, that can sometimes bring up, particularly in our, in our understanding, we can think about the word obey and go, you know what, that sounds like a lot of hard work. Like when I think about the kids and I say, take out the trash, clean up your room, do a bunch of things, do a bunch of chores, all right, and I, and I want them to obey, to them that seems like a whole bunch of hard work. But I want to I help us a little bit with this word obey. Let me speak to you about that. Maybe we can change our minds on if that's, where, if that's what obey brings up for us. Because Jesus says that to obey him is light and easy. This burden or his yoke that is upon us is actually easy and will bring you joy. It's easy because this is about love. It's easy because the result of this is to walk in love, in newness of life. God himself is love and he's calling you in, in obedience to partake in this love and this life that he offers. So this obeying is not, as I said, go and take out the trash, do X amount of chores. It's a call to walk in love, to walk in light, and actually have your burdens lifted, to actually have your sins lifted, washed away. If we need to go for a little bit further, I think about the psalmist. Man, over the, over the past you know, months, as I've been reading through um, Psalm 119, you need months for that guy, it's so long. But it keeps coming back to this bit where, and, and this is so, so much in the Psalms as well, keeps coming back to this thing where, where he loves the law of God. He loves the discipline of God. And as I'm reading it, I, I'm, I'm getting this deeper sense. I'm, I'm hearing what he's saying. He's saying, these things are good for me. They give me life, so I love. To obey is what I want to do. Because he's got this new heart that now wants to obey, wants to walk in this newness of life. There is a teaching tool called a catechism. Um, that's a, it's an old word, still a great word to, to look at if we're thinking about how do, we, um, how do we get ourselves to have a good, solid ground of, of understanding who God is. Catechism is really helpful because uh, it's a teaching tool that w- will teach us. But it asks this question, the first one that it asks, and it says, what is the chief end of man? It asks, what, 
is my purpose? That's what chief end of man means. What is my purpose? Stuart, you know it, don't you? What is the answer? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And this particular catechism, I know Stuart's talked to me about this before, it says to, um, to love the Lord your God and to enjoy Him forever. So everything that we do is to bring glory to God, but it is for our enjoyment. So obeying is actually for our good. It's for our joy. It's for our happiness. You were made for the glory of God. And in this, you are your happiest because it is what you were created for. Our entire world is out there trying to figure out why they're here. Our society is out there trying to understand. That's why they've got all these me ideas about let's make everything me-centered, me-centered. Me-centered isn't helpful. We need to have God-centeredness. God-centeredness will lead us to life. It'll lead us to true joy. So we want to glorify God. We want to enjoy Him forever. The Scriptures say, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You've heard this today, so I invite you to Shema, to listen and to do, to listen and obey. God invites you and calls you into this today. He invites you and, and calls you to meditate and study His Word, to grow in your knowledge of Him. In fact, if you want wisdom and knowledge, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all of that. Position yourself so that you hear the Word of God wash over you on a weekly basis. You don't just have to come and congregate here together. You get to. Do it each week. <laughs> I invite you, come to church each week as we go into the two services. Talk with your family. Which one are we going to go to, guys? Which one are we going to try and see what works for our family? Come along each week and experience togetherness of searching for God to know Him and to love Him together. For the sake of your soul and for the sake of your family's souls, put loving God at the top of your list for 2019. Tie it around your forehead if you need to. You're invited to pray, to plead and to seek and ask him that he would make the mystery of the gospel known to you. I urge you this morning to treat loving God as a matter of life and death because it is. There is nothing more important than we can consider as to whether or not loving God is our first and foremost thing. There's a reason why it's called the greatest command. It is given to us that we would seek it wholeheartedly. Church, this great love, this gift that we have has been purchased for us at the cross of Christ. It's available for you today. Christ at the cross has made all of this possible. His death and his resurrection, his blood has bought and purchased you. So I call you to respond to him today. So I want to borrow a phrase from a, an author that I've been reading of late. And he says that it's, it's good for a pastor to regularly talk 
with people about the state of their soul. It's not a common sort of phrase we would throw around today. An old author really struck me. If we were to ask, what is the state of our soul? I'm going to ask some questions. You don't need to answer these out loud. (laughs) They're for your personal reflection. I want to ask, has your heart and your affections been captured by him? Have your heart, all of your affections, been captured by God in such a way that following and loving him is everything to you? Is he your everything or is he your sometimes? Is he your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday or is he only your Sunday morning? See, author, there's an author called Paul Tripp and he talks about this thing called the gospel gap. He uses that as an example of a man that he had in his congregation. He's a pastor and author. And he talks about this man and he says, the man knew about God well. He was really, really good with Bible knowledge, doctrine, and theology. But there was something missing. Something didn't seem to add up because there was no Christ-likeness to this guy. There was no change going on in this guy's life. He just turned up each week, went through the process of attending, read his Bible, but seemed to have no evidence of an actual relationship with God. His mind knew about God, but his heart did not seem to love God. Nothing came from his walk with God other than knowledge and attendance. That's devastating. What a terrible state to be in. To think that you know, but actually don't know. That was heavy on my heart. Do I just know about God? Churches, it's said, have both people who are Christians and people who think they are Christians but are actually not. We know that because the Bible says there will be people who say, Lord, Lord, and he says, away from me, I never knew you. Please consider if there are other things that stir your emotions and your affections and your love more than the love that you would have for God. I want to use two examples from my own life. When I was younger, I used to love training in martial arts. And I've got a lot of useless information stored up about martial arts. I can tell you about where they originate from. I can tell you the styles. The um, can count to one to ten in Korean because I did Taekwondo. I can do a whole bunch of stuff. But you know what? When I think about that time, I must have been really annoying to talk to because all I wanted to do was talk about martial arts and find some other people that I could talk to about martial arts. I was, just, I was consumed with it. And if I was going to be honest, I could say that I loved it with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my might. At a different time in life, I replaced that idol for something else. I replaced it with a love for the culture of hip-hop music. Some of you say, how could you possibly do that? But you know what? I loved the culture of hip-hop, and I served it with every fibre, with every part of my my heart, my soul, and my mind, all of my strength, all of my devotion was towards this culture of music. Loved it with everything I had. None of these things could give me life. None of these things could give me true joy and true peace. What about you? 
If this resonates with you this morning, if you answer that perhaps God is not your all, I really want to encourage you this morning. I don't want to stand here and be seen as like shaking the fist at you. I want to actually encourage you this morning to know that this joy can be yours. You can know this peace. You can know this joy. From this day forward, this can change for you and you can walk in a newness of life of knowing and loving God. It is a wonderful thing. There is nothing better in this life than loving the Lord your God with everything you have. I am so far from an expert on it. I'm a broken sinner who desperately needs Jesus every day. But the glimpses and the tastes, the knowing God a little more each year, is unlike anything else. Nothing the world has to offer comes close to knowing God. You weren't created to know about God. You were created to know God and to really, 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 really enjoy Him. It's a strange phrase, isn't it? To enjoy God. You were created to enjoy God. I want to press just a little bit further with this. I know that there's a sense in which this this can be a little bit heavy. But I thought about a room like this, this many people, there would probably be three responses. I tried to think of what, what would you guys be thinking as I talk about this stuff? I thought of a lot of things. I thought maybe they'd be really annoyed and throw something at me or would they... <laughs> what, what could it be as I talk about this? What might go on? And I, I brought it down to about three responses that I could think of that could be going on as we hear this. Because I know that studying it myself had a whole range of responses. So number one could be that as I talk about this stuff, you're stirring right now with the thought of God and knowing him and knowing him more. There is an excitement in you. Words like cherish God and delight in him sound sweet to you. They don't sound weird or wacky. Delighting in God does something to you when you hear it. You may have other words like God is awesome or whatever it might be. You might even struggle for words. You might think of God and go, I don't have the words to convey how, how wonderful you are, God. But when you hear this stuff, there's a, there's a warmth in you. If that's you, hallelujah. Praise God for that. But acknowledge that God has done that. That is the work of God in you. Not you, not anybody else, not a pastor. God has gifted you with a love for him. In his grace and mercy to you, he has opened your eyes to behold his wonders. By his spirit, he's growing your love for him. Praise him for it. Even right now, in your heart, praise him. Thank him in your heart. That's the place where you are in. I thought of a second place that someone might be. And this kind of talk seems heavy to you and maybe has you questioning it. Has you thinking, do I really know God? Do I really love him? Is this real or is it just routine for me? Now, if this is what you're doing as we talk, I also want to say hallelujah because that is scriptural because the, God's word says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It says test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Great joy could be just around the corner for you. So that's why I say hallelujah. For someone to be in a place where they would question it, is a very, very good thing. Not to be taking it for granted, 
not to be just sitting and, and going, yep, I've got all this sorted, but to go, is that me? Is that real? If, it is, if it's not, I, I want it. Praise God. Seek after him. The third response is the one that really concerns me and has my heart heavy. The third response is that of numbness. And I've seen it and talked to others about it. It is one where there is no concern for what's being said. You hear this kind of talk and your response is not even a shoulder shrug, really. It kind of sounds to you like, oh, great, here we go again with the Jesus stuff. If that's the state of your soul, I'm pleading with you this morning. And I will continue to plead with you every week to fall on your knees to seek him and ask him to be merciful to you. There's a promise to you in Scripture that says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This great joy can be yours, and I plead with you not to be blasé about this. I plead with you that you would come to know him and enjoy him and have everlasting life in him. See, this, this numbness condition, this shrug of shoulders situation that, that some can be in, there won't be any of that when we stand before God and give an account for our life. There will be nobody shrugging their shoulders and being blasé about their relationship with God when we all stand and give an account. That is real for all of us. So I plead with you this morning, do everything you can to seek after God that this would not be your reality. This, isn't, this Christianity thing, it's not, a, it's not a lifestyle choice. It's not trivial. What you believe about God and where you're at with him is everything that matters. So I'm pleading with you for your life today. And I'll say in closing, if you're hearing his voice today, don't harden your heart, but come to him. He's already come to you. Church, this is the basis of our faith from which we will do everything this year. If we can seek the Lord our God, if we can love him with our heart, with our soul, and with our strength, this sets us up for all the other things being magnificent. Imagine a new person walking in to a room full of people whose hearts love and crave and are consumed by the things of God. That's a powerful room to walk into. Our great purpose, that we would know God and love him and help others love him also. Let's pray. Lord God, talking about catechism and, and teaching tool this morning, using that example, I, I think of another one which says, which asks the question, what is our only hope in life and in death? And the answer being that we are not our own but we belong to God. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your love. Lord, I thank you that you saw us in our sin, yet you call us to yourself and you give us a heart that is able to love you. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us by your spirit to then seek you, to obey, Lord, to go after you with everything that we've got with all of our heart, with all of our soul. Lord, as this word uh, comes to us this morning, I pray that it would be 
a blessing to us in our own lives and together as a congregation that whatever we do this year in 2019 would be done out of a great love for you. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts as we, as we search within, as we ask these questions of ourselves. And through it, Lord, may you lead us to your rivers of life, Lord, that we would drink of your goodness, that we would taste and know you deeper, Lord. Lord, would you do that for us as a church? Would you help us to love you more than what we currently do? Would you help us, Lord, to search after you and obey to Shemar, as we've talked about, not to just listen, but to, to act upon what we're hearing? Lord, help us today by your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you have done this in Jesus Christ on the cross, Lord, that you have purchased this reality for us, that we have this newness of life as a result of Jesus on the cross purchasing us as your people. We thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen.